Hello, thank you. Brilliant, okay, thank you very much. That's very kind. Kind words. That's a good word. Okay, well, I okay, can't see you guys over there. Oh, hello. Well, I think, if you remember, Duncan had a door yesterday morning, if you remember, everyone went through. Paul Manwaring was talking about fairy tales and stuff, do you remember? And I thought, these guys can't outdo me. I'm bringing a mirror in here today. It might be mirror, mirror on the wall, who's the fairest of them all, but we'll see. <laughs> we'll, we'll get to later on. Well, I'm not going to give a massive introduction to who I am in the morning. I'm just going to get on with it because I just want to get on with it. And, um, and hopefully you'll take a few minutes to adjust to my accent. You probably know I'm South African, or you can hear my accent is different. Any Saffirs in the room? You're very quiet, man. What's wrong with you guys? I need more from you this morning or this afternoon. Um, anyway, so I'm going to go get straight into it. So uh, if you've been to a Father Heart conference maybe like four or more times, hands up. Okay, so there's a few crazies around here. And then three times-ish. Okay, two. Okay, that's fair. First time. Oh, wow. That's good. Well, let me tell you about my first father art experience. It was an absolute nightmare. I hated it. I'm hoping you're enjoying it more than what I enjoyed my first father art conference, okay. But mine was not good. So, you know, Duncan said we arrived here, this is like 2011, 2012, and the church had already started organizing a father art conference. And so I'm coming from London with my family, and we are like, I know the Father Heart stuff, man. I'm like, you know, I'm a mature Christian. I've been around. I'm studying like a master's degree in theology. I know my stuff, okay? And um, anyway, so we're doing this Father Heart conference. I'm like, okay, it's fine. Let's do it, whatever. Um, I mean, I have no choice, right? I'm a staff member here, so I have to go on this course, on this thing. And... Um, so anyway, so Father Heart Conference, that's cool. We got this King's Arms team from Bedford. I mean, they got everybody coming. I mean, you got the, the whole academy, supernatural transformation of miracles, kind of, you know, those guys. Um, why, are these, why are these academies always have this stravi- extravagant names, don't they? They're always like awesome. Anyway, they got their team. They got their speakers. They got, they got their worship team. It's like all, all systems go, all right? And anyway, I'm like sitting in the thing and people are like singing and they're singing and on and on. <laughs> I mean, after an hour, I'm done, man. I'm done, okay. And they're going on and they're teaching about things like rocks of the heart and lies that you believe. And I'm like, I don't have those problems. <laughs> I'm a master's student. I know the father heart stuff. What is this trash? I know it. I'm fine. I'm fine. So at one point in the worship, the guy comes and stands on one of their ministry team. He comes and puts his hand on my shoulders. And he's like singing like a, a song from heaven over me. And then like the... <laughs> at the first sort of 30 seconds, I'm like... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then, and then, after about after about forty seconds, I'm like, yeah, this is. <laughs> Keep going, and, and and then after a minute, he kind of stops, and I'm like, where are you going, man? Come back here. <laughs> anyway, so my first father conference was a nightmare. Because what happened was, the, I mean, the, the doctrine of God, if you want, or this, this idea of the Father, heart of God, I kind of knew it in my head. And, and technically, I've been justified. You know what I mean? I knew the stuff about, you know, I'm being brought with the blood of Jesus into the household of God. I'm a son in the kingdom of God. And I kind of knew all that stuff. But I think what was happening is I still had an orphan heart inside of me. Yes? Like, I kind of knew the stuff, but I don't think I really fully lived that stuff out. It somehow hadn't quite penetrated into my heart, right? 
And I think so, a part of us this conversation, I mean, we've done a lot of this conference already, loads of stuff already. And, and for me in this session, is I feel like we wanna just do a few things where you can watch people, you can see what's happening, and some people are excited and stuff, and you think, oh, I'm not so sure, some of the stuff hasn't quite like, made its way into my heart yet, yeah? And so I'm hoping that in this session that maybe more of your orphan-heartedness might start to shift into being truly understanding what it means to be a son and son and daughter of God. That's my heart. So we can just be authentic before the Lord and he'll come and do what he's gonna do, right? And so what we're gonna do is I'm gonna spend some time in the Garden of Eden. These guys, Paul and Duncan, they spend time in Luke 15. And I'm like, that's fine. And I'm gonna spend some time in Genesis. And because I love Genesis and that's gonna be cool there. So if you've got your Bibles, you can kind of look there towards Genesis one and two, somewhere around there. And, uh, but you know, this father heart thing is, is, you know, this is a message. This is, this is more than just a doctrine to know. This is something that should shape all of my thinking. Everything about me, it should start shaping, it should shape my relationship with people. It should shape how I parent. It should shape how I'm single. It should shape how I'm at work. It should shape everything in me, in me. It's not just a doctrine to know. It's something that should consume me, understanding what it means to be that God is Father. Or that my, that my God or my Father is God. Right? It's a bit like, the, you know, if you remember in the, um, it's a bit like knowing the doctrine of grace. It can be something that's just a kind of a theoretical, theological thing, but when it starts to saturate into my heart and mind, it shapes everything about me. You see, Packer, he says this, he says, if you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child and having God as his father. If this is not the thought that prompts and controls his worship and prayers and his whole outlook on life, it means that this that he does not understand Christianity very well at all. How about that? That's pretty epic. For everything that Christ taught, everything that, that is distinctively Christian is summed up in the knowledge of the fatherhood of God the Father. Amen? And so I think what happens is with, with God is, you know, God is building and shaping his bride all the time, right? The church isn't a static kind of organization. And so I think what happens is sometimes God looks at, at the church or at culture, and when there's a deficiency in the church or in the culture, what it does is it starts, he starts to kind of bring out a revelation or awaken doctrines again. So the Father Heart Doctrine is in the Garden of Eden already very well established as far as I'm concerned. I'm going to argue with, with you later on. But you see what happens is you see how God shapes the church and it shapes the culture. So even in the Reformation, you've got this world that's in chaos where people are religious, they're doing all kinds of weird stuff. Their understanding of God is broken. That you pay somebody to forgive your sins. And then suddenly God looks at that, that deficiency in the church and that deficiency in the culture and what he does, the Reformation comes. Justified by faith suddenly, this new doctrine or this awakened doctrine and it changes the church, it changes the culture. That's what God's doing even right now with the doctrine of the kingdom of God. It's a deficiency in the church and suddenly God comes right. I'm gonna bring this alive again in my people and guess what? As the doctrine of the kingdom comes alive in us, it's gonna saturate into our culture because we're talking about saturating our culture the whole time today, right? Like go as sons and daughters fully mature into our worlds. The kingdom of God does that, that doctrine. So this is what God does. You see, I, I must still be on my father heart sort of journey. And some of you are like, my daddy God and that kind of stuff. And I'm like, yeah, okay. I'm not, I'm not. <laughs> I know, I'm on my journey. Just take it easy, all right? <laughs> but this is what I think. The father heart message to me is not about a cuddly God or being cuddling with God. It's about a powerful father who will kick down the walls, tear down the lies, and go to war with his children's enemies to find them and to bring them home. And guess what? 
Some of those enemies is in your head. He's done, he's done his work with the devil. But I tell you what, he's at war with me all the time. Because I think wrongly about all kinds of stuff. And he's like, no, my son. As a father, I'm going to bring you to flourishing. I'm going to attack that thinking right now. I'm going to sort it out. So the father's constantly on my case. And I don't always like it. And I've said this before, in this church, it's still, I don't like being in this church, man. It drives me nuts. <laughs> because I'm constantly being confronted with my unbelief and my ways of thinking, my patterns and my hopelessness. I think about circumstances. And then like, I'm constantly being confronted. No, this is not how you, this is, how, what do you think about your God? It's nothing impossible with your God. Yes, I know. And I'm constantly <laughs> being molded. Am I the only one? Don't put your hands up. <laughs> You guys are so naughty. Okay, so before I waffle on and go on for too long, because um, I haven't even like, really started yet. So, um, okay. So I'm going to paraphrase for a minute and we'll read some scripture in a minute, okay. The Garden of Eden, or the, the beginning of Genesis, chapters one to three, is, um, we've got to understand that it's not just like some random story. It is something that shapes all of theological thinking. That's where you have to start. Where you want to understand God, who God is, you start there in Genesis. You've got to go there to have a perspective of things. You've got to go to Genesis to understand even who you and I are a little bit. Because the God, he kind of, this amazing creator God who kind of shapes all of the world and he puts these two creatures in this national park, Right? So it's not, a, it's, not a, it's not like, I can't even think of a garden, Bournemouth Gardens, those who are, it's not that. It's like a national park kind of thing, okay? It's big, it's solid, it's like a bit more sizable than just your back garden. It's not the, that's not the Garden of Eden. And he puts these two creatures in there full of the glory of God, rotating around the presence of God, like full of dignity and worth. And then he says, go and multiply. Take this Eden and shape it across the whole globe. Right? Not just in this national park. You take this Eden. You take, if you want, but you multiply, not just human beings. You multiply the culture of heaven across the globe. That's a pretty cool call. Take the presence and the beauty and the culture of what it means to be sons and daughters of God and take it across all the earth. That's what we are called to do. And that's what happens. And then we pick up the story. Um, it will come up on the screen over here. You know the story. The devil comes into the scene, right? Listen to this. So when a woman, this is verse six. So when a woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took off its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves basically underwear. And they heard the sound of the, listen to this, listen to this. They heard the sound of the Lord, and God is saying, the sound of the Lord is still being heard across the earth right now. Heard the son of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord, which is super sad, among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, and he said to him, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pose three questions that God asks that reveals his, father, his fatherliness, the father heart of God. Three questions that he asks Adam and Eve, and he asks you and I. Those three questions are echoing through the generations, through cultures to us in this room right now. Where are you? Where are you? You see, I find this amazing in this moment where God knows what they did, right? And yet he still walks into the garden like walking in the garden looking for Adam and Eve. You see, sometimes you've got this idea that God is super angry. 
But what you get is you get this father that's kind of like, he walks into the garden, he knows exactly what they've done, just like he did maybe the day before, or the day before, or the day before, or however long, we don't know how long this has been going on for. But the fact is, they have done something, the father knows, and he walks into the garden where to go and still have that same relationship with them. Not to, not like a violently angry father, what did you do? And grab them and want to give him a hiding type thing. Right? Like a disappointed father, like you naughty, naughty children and sending an angel to kind of quickly sort them out or something. No, the father walks into that same space and he kind of looks around and he's like, well, where are you? I'm still where I always have been. See, what I propose is that God is going to be asking three questions in the garden. That as he does that, reveals who he is as father. And the first one we got from this text is then, as he's, as he's walking in the garden, he's asking Adam and Eve, if he says, like, well, where are you? Where are you? You see, it's, it's fascinating when God asks questions. He's not asking questions in order to if you gather information. He knows all things, right? But when God asks questions, it's so that you gather the right information, so that you can understand and see what God is seeing. And what I find amazing in this moment is when God steps into the space, it's not, you would expect maybe a father that's like, or a God who's angry and comes in with, with, with you know, smashing the doors and, and shouting at the kids and say, well, what have you done, you naughty children or whatever. But rather what you have is you've got this idea that the father steps into the space and he's like, well, well, where are you? I've, I've, I've been doing this every day, day in, day out, for we don't know for how long, in the sense, but if you want, God is walking and stepping into the garden, coming to walk and be with his children, if you want. And on this occasion, he walks in again like he always has, and on this occasion, he looks and says, well, well where are you? I've always walked into the space. I'm always still walking towards you. And the father is still looking and asking for his children. Well, this time, I don't see you anywhere. You seem to have hidden. It seems like you have retreated somewhere. This is not a father who's angry, coming in and frustrated with his children. He's like, hey, I'm still stepping into the same space. I have not changed. Somehow, you have changed. And so what I find interesting is that when we seem to go through circumstances or when things happen to us that where we feel shame or, or guilt or a sense of unworthiness or, or, or something like that, what happens is somehow it appears that we retreat into the shadows, but this shows us that God never retreats into the shadows. He continues to pursue relationships. And what we, what we then find is, is that God is going to, if you want from this point on, always step into circumstances and always be asking the question, where are you? This is the heart of God that, if you want, starts to then pursue after his people, after his creation. I find it amazing then you see these moments where actually you, 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 you see where you know, the people of Israel, when they are in Egypt and they are in oppression, what happens is, God steps towards him through Moses. When, when Egypt is eventually in this place where they are, if you want, rebelling against God, God sends his prophets. What does they do? They step into those dark places. They step into the situations to say, listen, I'm calling you into relationship. Where God, if you want, I can see him stepping into my circumstance when I'm 16 years old, into my darkness, into my depravity, and he says, where are you? And I then get saved. And you see this, what, this is what Jesus does. It reminds me of the story in, in the beginning where we have the only recorded words of Jesus, where he is the one that is you know, 12 years old of the 12-year-old Jesus. And you know the stories where they've gone to Jerusalem for the Passover and they somehow have lost him for three days on their way back home. And it says, after three days they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. 
and all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching you in great distress. And he said to them, Well, why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? Or, or, or some translations, that I must be at my father's business? I find it like, it's this amazing moment where like, his parents are in, in, in anxiety, looking, searching for the lost Jesus, if you want. And in fact, what we find then is that actually, Jesus is like, why are you looking for me? Because in a sort of poetic way, it's like Jesus is like, listen, I'm at my father's business. I am what I've always going to do. This is what my father did in the Garden of Eden when he said, where are you? I'm actually on the place where I'm looking for you. You're not actually looking for me. Where God is in the sense of through his son, it steps into all sorts of circumstances. You know, when he sees a Zacchaeus in the tree who feels rejected and isolated from his society and his, his, his community, it's like Jesus steps in, if you want, into those circumstances. He never changes. He steps towards us, just like the Father steps towards Adam and Eve in the garden. He doesn't change. When a woman is thrown at him, if you want, in this place of this adulterous woman, it's like, and it says Jesus steps towards him, not with condemnation, but with grace and for forgiveness and restoration. This is the heart of God that what we see is, is that God, if you want, through his Son, will always step into our circumstances, into our darkness, and then what he says is that he's always calling you into relationship. He never changes. It appears that we change and we retreat back away from him. I remember a, a few years ago, we, we had this, um, as, a, as an worship team, we were exploring uh, going into um, you know, this freedom prayer uh, a, a course. And, and basically what happened was the elders were saying, well, we need somebody who can go on the guinea pig. And they were all afraid uh, to do this. So I said, I'll put my hand up and... Um, and I'll volunteer, I'll be the brave one. And, and basically what happened was we, you, you went into this room and, and I sat down with these, the, these guys and they would then basically take you through a process of pray, praying and so on. And, and at one point they asked me like, well, where is the father in the room right now? And I remember thinking to myself, oh my word, okay, I better answer the right question because this is making me, stressing me out right now. And, and I'm sitting there and I get this sensation or this idea that the father's over here on my right hand side by my, by my shoulder. And I'm like, well, that feels like a good place. That feels like I'm passing the test here. Because I know that there must be a motivation behind the question, where's the father in the room? And as I'm then sitting there and they take me through additional processes and we pray and there's things that you forgive people for and all sorts of stuff like that. And then they asked me a question of where's the father in the room now? And as I was thinking and thinking about it and reflecting, I suddenly felt the father sitting on this coffee table right in front of me. And he's, he's got his elbows on his knees leaning towards me. And he's, he's, he's looking straight at my face, like very close, very intimate, not distracted by anything, but he's right in me, right, if you want, at my full attention father was in the room and my question to you it was an intimate beautiful moment and my question to you then is it's like well where's the father in the room for you because what could happen is we could say where's the father in the room and we could perceive that the father is you know sitting in the corner somewhere kind of looking on from a distance or he's in the kitchen kind of just doing his stuff uninterested or he's angry in the in the lounge with the door closed we shouldn't just shouldn't even go and talk to him whatever and I'm saying the Father is always in the room. He's always intimately close to us, but somehow we have left the room. And the Father always wants to step in and He wants to invite you into a relationship with you. Because this is what He does with Adam and Eve, right? He steps into their space and when He sees them, He sees that they are less than what they were. They were wearing these 
clothes, these leaves, these plants as clothing. And the father steps always towards him and says, no, 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 you are less than what you were. Let me restore you. Let me step into your space. I'm not changing. You have changed. Where are you? This is reveals the heart of the father. And you ask that question of us even now. Like, where are you? Why have you retreated away from me? What are the things that you don't pray about anymore? What are the things that you somehow want to just retreat and retract and hide from God? And the Father steps towards you again and he says, where are you? And then we go into the second question uh, from the Father and it says this. And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, God said, but who told you? Who told you that you were naked? And the man said, the woman whom you gave to me to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree and I ate. You see, this is a super, super powerful question when God asks, who told you? Who told you that you were naked? You see, because when you read Genesis 1 and 2, you, you, you are exposed to God himself, to the voice of God. Because it says, you know, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then it just lists a whole lot of things. And it says, God said, let there be, and something happened. God said, let there be, and this happened. God said, let this, let this be, and it happened. And it goes on about 18 to 20 times. You have this idea where it talks about God speaks. He's the primary voice in the universe. He's the only voice in the universe that speaks. He's the one that brings a sense of dignity and worth and sets the parameters of the Garden of Eden. He's the one that sets the parameters for living. He's the one that, if you want, sets the, brings dignity and worth and flourishing. His voice that speaks into Adam and Eve gives them a sense of, of assignment of what it means to be those that reflect the image and glory of God. It's His voice that brings all of this dignity and worth and understanding of purpose. His voice is the primary voice. And under that voice, there is flourishing. Not just for Adam and Eve, but the whole of the earth that flourishes and is sustained by this primary voice that comes from God himself. He said, let there be vegetation. He said, let the waters separate. You know what I mean? He said, he said he's the primary shaping voice. There is no other voice in existence at that moment. Like he's the shepherd. He sets the boundaries for the Garden of Eden. He sets the boundaries for Adam and Eve. He's the voice that brings destiny and purpose and worth and dignity to them. He's, he's the one who calls and says, you go and multiply. You be my vice regents. It's like he's the primary shaping voice in the garden in all of creation. And then, and then, we have a new voice that enters the sea. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God actually say, he said, did God actually say you should not eat of the tree in the garden? You see, the voice of the serpent is a trespasser in the kingdom of God and Adam and Eve failed to recognize it. Did you get that? A trespassing voice, a foreign language, if you want, have just entered the garden. A foreign language. And they kind of attended their ears to it. And guess what? They listened. It corrupted their internal condition. And they did an action. They went from this dignity to depravity. Why? They listened to another voice. You see, scientists say this thing about that human beings are, are open loop systems. Now, what that means is, an open loop system means that something external comes in to us, which influences and changes our internal condition, and then we have an action. Okay, let me give you an illustration. So, my external influence, I look at Facebook. 
and I see that some friends are going on a really nice holiday, like going skiing somewhere. And I'm like, oh, I'm going skiing. Oh, the snow looks amazing over there as well. I haven't gone skiing in the ages. I want to go skiing. And why are they going skiing? And ah, oh, so annoying, man. My internal condition, I look at something external, my internal condition is starting to change, right? Oh, I want to go there. This isn't, why are they going? I can't go, da 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 da. And my reaction is, I'll mope around and I irritate my kids and my, and my wife. Because <laughs> I'm like, eh. Michael, I go. External factors influences our internal condition that results into an action. Right, listen, this is, this is big. This is a big deal now. God created you and I like that. Do you know why? His voice is supposed to be the primary external factor that shapes all my dignity and worth inside of me, which tends to create an outworking of a person that's taking the culture of heaven into or wherever he goes. Do you understand? That's quite good. But, I think it's quite good. But then what happens is, what happens is we shift our loop, if you want, from this primary voice, and then suddenly, oh, oh, this is this another voice that's just coming. Oh, this one is interesting. And this external voice, Adam and Eve, comes and shapes my internal condition, and it caused depravity. See, in the kingdom, this is what happens. In the dominion of darkness, you move from dignity to depravity, from sons and daughters to orphans, from citizens of heaven to subjects of a tyrant self-obsessed, hateful ruler. That's the voice of the kingdom of darkness. No wonder God is shouting from the sides, who told you? What on earth are you doing that you just started to listen to this other voice that's starting to shape you now? And it's actually fascinating that the Bible does not say when he asked Adam and Eve, when he says, oh, I, I was naked, oh, I, and then I hid myself, the Bible doesn't say that the serpent told him. It's funny, it's almost like a third voice awakens in the psyche of the human being. Oh, oh, oh hang on, I start to explain to myself now. I've sinned, I'm, I, I'm now full of shame, I'm, I'm unworthy. Uh, let me let me just retract myself because this is not good anymore. And suddenly you have this voice, and guess what? We have other voices of people, and now we have voices of the culture, and everything is shouting at us all the time. These external things are coming into our internal conditions and causing chaos in us because we are adjusting and moving our loops all over the place. And God is saying, "Hey, who who told you, man?" My voice is the primary voice that you should be listening to. My voice is, a, you see, I have this ability to be multilingual. So I can speak four languages. Actually, that's five now. Anybody? Some of you, you English guys are like, what did he just say? What did he just say? Who does he think he is? And then I can speak English, which is great. <laughs> Who was that? Get out of here. Get, get, get out. I can speak English. I can speak the kingdom of heaven's language. And the kingdom of, lang- kingdom of heaven's language is like, hey, ooh, here he is. Man, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. Thank you. <laughs> hey, you know that God celebrates you. He doesn't just tolerate you. Oh, that's good. Hey, listen, you know that when you've sinned, that man, the blood of Jesus is far superior to cover you with, cover you with love and compassion and forgiveness. I understand that language, that there's dignity and honor in you. Yeah, I get that, you see? But then I can swift and switch to what I call the kingdom or the language of the kingdom of darkness. 
well, you are just an absolute idiot. Nobody really likes you. If you change your personality, maybe somebody, in fact, because he's South African, people probably think you are a racist. <laughs> that was a serious point, Matt. <laughs> I was pouring my heart out there. And you know what? I can switch between those languages within five minutes. Chuk, 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 just like that. Yes? Am I the only one? Well, thank you, thank you, thank you. <laughs> so in the, in the language, so what happens is, we are speaking the, the language of the kingdom of darkness all the time when we have orphan-heartedness. And the Lord is like saying, well, you've got to learn to speak the king, language of the kingdom, man. You've got to learn to speak the language of the kingdom. That's why he's shouting to you, who told you? Because you are listening to foreign languages now. And it's going to shape you Severe, severely. So how do you combat this? First thing, decide which voice matters. Because God's voice, God's voice is only for flourishing. He wants to bring flourishing to his children. That's why he's called a father, right? Which father doesn't want his children to flourish? So in order to make you flourish, he's going to come and attack some of the thinking that you have in you. That's what he's doing right now. This is the love of the Father on you. He says, hey, listen, I'm gonna come and destroy some thinking that you have in you. I'm gonna kill some stuff in you and we're gonna build some new stuff in you. Okay? You gotta decide which voice do you actually want to listen to. Are you even gonna listen to your own voice? You can't listen to your own voice until your voice is actually properly transformed, the inner psyche. That's why the Bible says, you know, renewal, the transformation of the mind. Do you know that? Because you, my mind's carnal, man. It's been saturated with the language of the kingdom of darkness and it needs to be bent correctly. And that's what God is doing. That's what God is doing. So I was, I was thinking about this. Um, uh, this might be foreign to some of you. But when we talk about the culture, um, a culture of honor, about how do we overcome, overcome this type of thinking, this is where I think the culture of honor comes into the picture. You see, a culture of honor for me is just like, it's a moment when you, when you and I amplify the language of the kingdom of heaven to someone who has been overrun by the voice of the kingdom of darkness. Do you, let me just read it to you again. I'll have to expand honor for you in a minute. It is a moment when you and I amplify the language of the kingdom of heaven to someone who has been overrun by the voice of the kingdom of darkness. Because if you and I are walking around with this inner dialogue that wants to speak that language of darkness and we are hard on ourselves, we're walking around with this shame, we're walking around with a sense of unforgiveness, we're walking around with, with we are not worthy, we're walking around with God is angry with me. Sometimes I have to look somebody in the eye and then bring a sense of what, how, how does heaven see this person? That you are a saint. <laughs> and that you are a son and daughter in the kingdom of God, in the household of God, you have dignity and worth. And sometimes what happens is, I have to do warfare on your behalf. Do you know what I mean? So that's why in the, in the culture of honor, it's not just like this patronizing stuff. Oh, I like your hair. Or, uh, you're awesome. You're always awesome. Like, no. I mean, sometimes, yes. But, but it's, it's, it's deeper than that, man. It's, a, it's a taking you by the throat and saying, listen, I need you to see how God sees you right now. And if it means brave conversation, I'm going to have a brave conversation with you. And I want to bring something of the kingdom of heaven into you so your brain gets shaken. And the warfare that's going on inside of you, you're doing warfare on that person's behalf. Do you, do you see? I know some of you looking at me thinking, what are you talking about? But You see, I, I also think that when the Bible talks about a, breast, a breastplate of righteousness, see, what happens for many of us is that this thing of being right standing with God 
to stand against the works of the enemy? Is our breastplates, they're kind of shaky, they're loose. They've kind of fallen to the side a little bit. And we're kind of not really sure who we are and what we believe. And so what happens is sometimes we need the voice of the community, you and me, brothers and sisters, amplifying the voice of heaven, the language of heaven, and we come and adjust your breastplate of righteousness for you and put it back again. Why? So you can stand against the vials of the enemy, standing firm. Yes? Which voice are you listening to? And the father, see, this is the heart of the father. He's shouting from the side, saying, it's not just like shouting like, who told you, like, naughty boy. It's like, who told you? Because it's like this desperation, if you want, in God. Don't listen to anything else because it's going to cause destruction for you. Number three. Next question. The man said, the man said, the woman whom you gave to me to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree and I ate. And then the Lord God said to the woman another question. What is this that you have done? What is this that you have done? This is possibly for me the question that is filled with the most emotion from God himself. What is this that you have done? Look, we know, and we know from the story that there are consequences to what they did, right? And in, in some ways, they, they are exiled and they exile themselves at the same time from the garden. And the father's on the case, man. He's like, right, when I'm coming, I, who told you, um, but I'm coming for you, right? Like I said, I will always come for you. Who told you? And the one of, at, the, at the local level, and this is important for you, it's like, what is this that you've done? When you've listened to that voice and you've been corrupted, it's like, um, for her, for Eve, it's like, what have you done? You've just, you have just given up your identity really cheaply. This call and destiny that you've been calling, you've just given it up for free. And, and you've just opened up the floodgates of evil. Okay? There is this deep, consequence that's happened there. And sometimes what's happened, I think, for us is that as a result, we and you and I have actually been recipients of people's evil, and sometimes we have been active participants in evil towards others. And that's happened. And so the question is this deep question, like, what have you done? And the father is like, Eve, what have you, what have you done here? But there's something else I see here. And this is, I'll say this, um, this is a really difficult point to communicate. So I'm, I hope I'm, the reason why is because I don't want to communicate heresy, okay? So um, you can come talk to me afterwards if you misunderstand. But you know what, I don't know, sometimes, this is how I see God sometimes. It's like nothing, nothing bugs him. Like he's, he's never stressed. Do you know what I mean? Like, the all-knowing, all-powerful God that knows everything that is in the future at this moment right now, in the, for him it's a present, like God's all-knowing everything, like, just like, like it is infinitely powerful, infinitely knowledgeable. It's like, so if you see it that way, which it is that way, but what can happen as a result of that, it's like, okay, so this is what happened. God, God was like, in his head, was like, okay, I'm gonna create the heaven, I'm gonna create the heavens and the earth, they're gonna sin, they're not gonna sort out that quickly. Uh, Israel will come and then they will send Jesus to the cross and he'll just cruise through the cross quickly and then um, da, da 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 and then we'll have a new heavens and new earth all sorted. Like, cruise through the whole thing. I've got it sorted. Do you know what I mean? And I'm like, when you see it like that, it's a bit like God is just like, it's like someone writing a test that knows all the answers. It's like, it's no big deal to you, right? But I don't think what's happening here is, is, this is not the case. God knows everything. But I think what's happening in this moment is like when God says, Eve, what have you done? There's a flash in God's mind. There's like this flash in his mind that, you know, 
there's going to be another sound in the garden, in a garden. That if you didn't fall asleep and you were awake enough to listen, you're going to find God's son in anguish, like with blood sweating from him. And then he prays a prayer that maybe Adam and Eve should have prayed. Not my will, but your will be done. You see, I think what happens is the father, he sees this flash in this moment where it's like uh, this feet that's walking the earth, it's bringing peace and, and steps into people's shame and darkness and, and confusion and stuff. It's like he flashes and he sees this like, that those very feet are gonna have a metal pin go through the bone and through the muscle and through the flesh on the cross. And then I think, I think the father sees another flesh, like, what have you done? It's almost it brings God to the very end of himself, if that's even possible. That there's gonna be a moment when, when Jesus is gonna shout out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And it's almost like the Trinity fractures. That's like, do you know what I mean? And why? The father's like, you know what? I will take, I will, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna go to the end of myself because I want my children back. I'm gonna, I will, I'm gonna hurt myself in this, in this sense. It's gonna cost me dearly. And the father sees it. What have you done? It's like, Eve, what have you done? Because you know what? I am coming after you still. Even though you've done all of this, the Father is still after your, on, you, on your case. I don't know what more demonstrates the love of the Father. I will give my only son. So, for God so loved the world. For the Father so loved the world that he gave his only son. For you and me. And I think this is why this is an incredible um, Tozer says this, which I love this. He says, we who feel ourselves alienated from the fellowship of God can now raise our discouraged heads and look up. Through the virtues of Christ's atoning death, the cause of our banishment has been removed. We may return as the prodigal returned and be welcome. As we approach the garden, our home before the fall, the flaming swords is withdrawn and the keepers of the tree of life stand aside when they see a son and daughter of grace approaching. That's you and me, man. The father's come and found these kids. That's who we are. So, question, like where are you? What are you hiding from the Lord? The Father's like, I'm here. Maybe the band can come up, where's the band? The Father's like, hey, I'm here. I'm here for you. And then the bigger question is the Lord saying, but who, who, who told you? Like, what voice are you listening to? You know what? I had multiple voices going through my head even in this talk right now, the last or however long I've spoken for. Do you know that? Do they like this? They're bored. This is so ivory. Oh, why is the South African shouting? <laughs> you know what I mean? And I'm like, stuff those voices, man. Do you know what I mean? It's like, what does my father say? Right? That's, that voice matters. What does my community say? You see, the body of Christ has an, an, an immune system. You know what, in, in your immune system, when your body goes weird somewhere, you have a cut or something or cold, your body's immune system goes and goes and wants to sort it out, right? Yes? Brothers and sisters in the house of God, the body of Christ, we should have an immune system. When you see somebody is like, 
what is that language you're speaking to? We should go, Zaka! In there. Do you know what I mean? That's the immune system of the body of Christ. You can call it the culture of honor. Amen. I don't really know what to do now, so. Um, so. Oh, oh, yeah. oh, thank you. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. Grab a seat. That's, that's very kind. I thought we could do one cool exercise. Do you want to do a cool exercise before we... Um, I'm sure Duncan's got all kinds of plans for ministry. So um, grab your phone for a second. Everybody grab your mobile phone out, okay? And what we're going to do, I want you to text somebody. And I want you to give some kingdom honor to somebody you think might need some encouragement. It's just something that will speak. Maybe you're doing warfare for them even right now, or you just, do you, do you know what I mean? So think of somebody, like we're going to do it right now, I mean, we're in the zone, we're going to do it. So think of somebody on your phone, you're thinking, you know what, that person just needs to know something about God, something about the love of God. It might be an unbelieving friend, it doesn't matter, man, because they, unbelieving friends are going to be all, all sorts of things going on in their brains, right? So let's bring some grace to them through this language of the kingdom. So think of it. Have you got some? Have you got some? Are you texting? And then maybe see what responses you get later on, okay? Because it might be really cool. We might read them. Okay, and then we're going to sing Reckless Love. Let's give it a second. Is everybody done? We're so busy. Have you done it? Hands up if you've actually done it. No, you're so busy. Okay, carry on, carry on. Somebody just sent me a text message. That's very nice. <laughs> How are we doing? You got some? Are you still thinking of somebody? Don't write essays, just... Okay. I think we're gonna, we're gonna sing Reckless Love now, just to add to the, to the emotions. And um, let's stand together, shall we? I'm gonna just pray. If you're able to, won't you just hold your hands out and um, just hold up your hands for a minute. Father, thank you, Lord Jesus. Lord, we, God, we just stand in absolute wonder of the Father that's even in the garden. Lord, we thank you so much, Lord, that you are always on our case, that you are always after us, Lord God. What a good father you are. And so, Lord, we want to just say thank you, Lord, for your grace towards us. May this understanding, this revelation of the Father go so deep in us, Lord God. May it shape every aspect of our lives, we ask, Father. Forgive us, Lord, when we have doubted you. Give us when we have offended you almost by saying, oh, our God doesn't love us anymore. Or he can't forgive me. What a, what a crazy thing. Thank you for your presence now, God. How reckless is your love for us. How amazing is your love for us, Lord. 